second reading this evening comes from Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Where the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Amen. Yes, our God is who he says he is. Jesus, in your name we can change the world. We stand in your love, in your power, and all you say we are. Jesus, in your name we could change the world. And Jesus, knowing that his followers would be people who could change the world, says of us, you... You are the salt of the earth. A few grains of salt can make a big difference. Salt of the earth is a biblical phrase that's been used in English since the time of Chaucer onwards to describe people who are good, honest, noble and reliable. The best of the best. You are the salt of the earth. But if, is that what Jesus meant when he said his followers are the salt of the earth? And we don't know precisely what Jesus meant, so it's difficult to be sure. He may have left the meaning of the phrase unspecified precisely to make people stop and think about what he meant. What do you think it means for you to be the soul of the earth? Everyone in those days knew the value and importance of salt. These days we're constantly preached that about the, the dangers of having too much salt. But then they knew that salt was vital for health. In a hot climate like Israel, we sweat. Even ladies sweat. And that means you need to drink a lot to avoid becoming dehydrated. Yet, as athletes know, just drinking water doesn't replace everything the body loses by sweating because the body also loses salt. 
And if that is not replenished, the, the chemical balance of the body gets out of kilter. You end up having headaches, seizures, can even fall into a coma. The effects of not having enough salt in your system can cause diabetes, strokes or heart failure. Lack of salt can be fatal. Those of you who remember way, way back the old Star Trek series, they visited a planet where members of the crew died mysteriously. They couldn't figure out why until they found that there was no salt in their bodies. There was a creature that, that fed on salt, took all the salt out of the body and, and, and people died as a result. Roman soldiers were probably issued with a daily ration of salt. <clears throat> There's a myth that they were actually paid in salt. And that's the origins of our term salary. But that actually seems unlikely. Salt was one of those strange things. It was a basic necessity, yet it was, it was a precious commodity. And so actually it was given to successful commanders and generals. If they won a battle, they were rewarded in salt. And that's where the term salary comes from. Not the daily amount paid to soldiers, but actually the reward for a successful campaign. Both the daily necessity and as well, because it was so valuable, something given as a reward to, to successful high people. And we talk about someone being worth their salt. When we want to say they're worth every penny you pay them. They are hardworking and successful and a good investment. Jesus ben Sirach, the author of Ecclesiasticus and the Apocrypha, Includes salt in his list of the basic necessities of life. Water, fire, iron, wheat flour, milk, honey, the blood of the grape, oil, clothing and salt. The things we cannot manage without. So whatever Jesus may or may not have meant by the phrase, you are the salt of the earth, we can be fairly confident he was saying that his followers would be indispensable to the health and well-being of the world. You can't live, you can't flourish, you can't be healthy without salt. The Romans would say, there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. And they should know because they sent armies all around the world and armies needed salt to be able to march. It was good stuff. The mining of salt was quite an industry. It was said to be derived from the purest sources, the sun and the sea, and it was recognised that it functioned as a preservative. No fridges in a hot climate, salt stopped food going bad, and it made food taste better as well. So it was kind of a win-win scenario. If you had salt on your food, it tasted great and it was good. What more could you want? I know I've, I've told the story before, I've summarised it before, but it was my favourite story when I was a boy, so excuse me. A kind of children's version of King Lear, where a king asks his three daughters how much they love him. And the first says, I love you more than all the gold in the world. And he's delighted and thrilled with that. And the second one says, I love you more than all the jewels and precious stones in the world. And he's thrilled at that response. And the third says, well, Dad, I love you more than meat loves salt. And he was not impressed. He was so disgusted, he kicked her out and disowned her. And so she kind of went around and eventually she trained as a cook and after a while she got a job working in the, in the royal kitchens. And the time came when she had the opportunity to prepare a meal for the king and she duly prepared a roast dinner without using any salt. And it was presented to the king and it tasted disgusting. 
and he commanded the person responsible to be brought before him. And when he saw it was his daughter, he was deeply humbled and his heart was changed. And he recognised the truth of what she had said. How right she'd been to, to describe the quality of love as the, the kind of the, the way which salt enhances the taste of meat. And they were duly reconciled and lived happily ever after, which was just as well because the other two weren't that good to their old dad. So it was a, a, a great story to read. In his natural history, the ancient author Pliny could say, we may conclude then by Hercules that the higher enjoyments of life could not exist without salts. Indeed, so highly necessary is this substance to mankind that the pleasures of the mind even can be expressed by no better term than the word salt, such being the name given to all effusions of wit. All the amenities, in fact, of life, supreme hilarity and relaxation from toil, can find no word in our language to characterise them better than this. Salt, the best thing in the world. Plutarch talks of salt being the spice or wit of good conversation, and in rabbinic sources it's associated with wisdom. One phrase talks about the wisdom of the scribes becoming insipid or tasteless. Salt was great stuff, used as a picture of everything that was worthwhile and valuable and enjoyable and positive about life. And Jesus taps into that connection between salt and wisdom when he talks about salt losing its taste or savour. The word he uses can also be used to refer to something becoming stupid or foolish. If salt loses its taste, what good is it? If salt becomes stupid, what value is there in it? The play on words may suggest that the very idea that salt could lose its saltiness is, is a bit silly. Salt, after all, is salt. Sodium chloride. Its saltiness is inherently part of what it is. Chemists among us know that. It can't stop being salty. People rightly point out that salt can be impure. A lot of the salt was mined in that region of the world, particularly around the Dead Sea, was a mixture of salt and other stuff. And so sometimes actually the salt that you had wasn't very salty. Um, it was sometimes of inferior quality. Intriguingly and disturbingly, we are beginning to encounter a similar problem today. It's been established that 90% of the salt that we consume has been contaminated with microplastics. We think we're just having salt, but we're having salt plus plastic. More and more plastic is just becoming part of what we eat as it gets into everything. Um, it seems that every year we consume 2,000 microplastics with our salt. Nobody knows as yet what the health implications of that are. But I, for one, will never quite look at the label 100% natural salt on a salt container with quite the same degree of trust again. Yet it's still salty enough for us actually to use it. We're not going to kind of kick it out and trample it underfoot. underfoot. It is still salty. Yet Jesus didn't talk about salt being contaminated with other things. He talked about salt losing its essential properties. If you buy your 100% natural salt and you put it on your food and it's tasteless, 
what value or purpose does it have? None. Salt that isn't salty has no value whatsoever. And in those days, if you use salt to preserve something, and despite putting salt on it, it went bad, salt has, has no value. If it doesn't make things taste good, if it doesn't preserve things, it is a waste of time. It is no longer something to be prized or sought after or mined or extracted at great expense. The only thing it's good for is being thrown out of the house and trampled underfoot. It is worse than useless, especially if you've paid good money for it. And Jesus says to his followers, he says to us, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Not you could become the salt of the earth if you try really hard. Not you could be the salt of the earth if you do this, this and this. There's a sense in which we are the salt of the earth by virtue of who we are in Christ. Just as the inherent properties of salt are what make salt salty, NaCl, sodium chloride, chloride, so the inherent qualities of who we are as followers of Jesus, as people who have Christ in our lives, as people who have the Spirit within us, as people who belong to the Kingdom of God, that makes us the salt of the earth. It's who we are. Our role, if you like, is to stop things going bad. We are to act as a preservative of what is good in society. And where we see things becoming corrupt, where we see morals deteriorating, where we see things going wrong, we are the salt that redresses that, keeps things good, tries to ensure that things stay healthy. And where people uh, say, well, what's the point in life? There's any value or purpose in life? There's no enjoyment in life anymore. We, we are the salt that makes life worthwhile. We bring light where there is darkness. As Matthew prayed, the, the prayer attributed to, to Sir Francis. We make a difference in people's lives so that actually life becomes worthwhile for them. Our goal is to stop life going bad, to make life good, And we do that by being who we are and by being where we are in the world. When we leave this place and go out into the world, we are like salt to the people with whom we come into contact. Bringing God's goodness to them. Being a force for good to them. Bringing a quality of life to them that makes things worthwhile. But we need to be careful. Jesus' warning about salt losing its saltiness means that we need to beware of losing our identity. Whatever it is about us that makes us distinctive. Whatever it is about us that means we can make a positive difference to everyone with whom we come into contact. We need to be to beware of losing that. And we haven't always been very good at being salt. Back in the 19th century, the atheist Nietzsche complained they'd have to sing better songs to make me learn to have faith in their Redeemer. His disciples would have to look more redeemed. And that's a a, a common criticism of the church down the ages. Actually, you say you've been redeemed? Show me 
What is this, this quality of saltiness that makes you distinctive, that makes you different, that actually says, your life is one that I'd want to follow? You are part of a group of people I would like to belong to. If the church suffers from a credibility crisis, and I think to some extent we do, is it because we've been in danger of losing our saltiness? What makes us distinctive? What makes us attractive? What makes us worthwhile? What makes us good? So what is it about us that makes the difference? That's where Jesus awkwardly isn't specific. But let's not forget that what he says about being the salt of the earth in Matthew's Gospel comes right on the back of the Beatitudes where he's pronounced blessing on all kinds of people. And in many ways, the qualities that he singles out in the Beatitudes are the hallmarks of his kingdom. And if we wonder, what did he mean, you are the salt of the earth? What is it that makes us different? What is it that makes us distinctive? We look back just a few verses and he pronounces a blessing on the poor in spirit, on those who mourn, on those who are meek, on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, on the merciful, on the pure in heart, on the peacemakers, on those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Those are qualities that Jesus singled out because they matter to him. They are the hallmarks of the kingdom. And when we think about the sayings of Jesus, when we think about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, these are the things that should be key, core to our identity as individuals and how we live as a church. These are the things where, where we display them in our lives. Jesus says, yes, that, that's what I mean. That's what I'm looking for. That's the quality of saltiness. That's how you should be. So let's, let's have a look at that list again. If Jesus is saying that these are the qualities that make us the salt of the earth, is he saying that if we don't have these qualities, then we are like salt which hasn't got salt in us? So maybe it's worth running through that list again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's our calling, that's, that's who we're supposed to be. People who are poor in spirit. If you're poor in spirit, then one thing is certain, you won't be full of yourself. And that's an important distinction to make. We won't be full of ourselves, or our own importance, or how good we are, how well we're doing. There will be a humility there. There will be a recognition, it's not about me, it's about God. At the prayer meeting the other week, I read an extract from a sermon by Trevor Jameson. Let me repeat some of those words again, because it's worth reflecting on what it means. He says, perhaps being poor in spirit is at least in part about being lowly or humble. It's about coming to the realisation that our own value, personal gifts and church resources, money, buildings, expertise, traditional practices are not sufficient in themselves to enable us to flourish in our own contemporary setting. A humble outlook or spirit which drives us to depend on God as the source of our salvation 
rather than expending effort to recover a position of strength and higher social status for ourselves or for the church, really would be a blessing. Poor in spirit <coughs> is revealed in the dependence upon God, not on our own resources, not on what we think makes us great or important. It's being lowly, humble, relying on God, and that reliance being expressed in prayer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, we mourn for all sorts of reasons. Why would, why would people receive a blessing for mourning? Well, there is plenty in the world to make us mourn. There is plenty in the news to grieve our hearts. And Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who simply don't simply shrug their shoulders at all the suffering and injustice in the world and say, well, what can I do about it? Or, well, at least it isn't me. We mourn at the things that grieve God's heart. We share his passion for the world. We mourn when we see people heading in the wrong direction. We, see, we mourn when we see lives damaged. We mourn when we see a world that is far away from God. If you're meek, blessed are the meek, you won't stridently insist on your rights, on how important you are, on how right you are. The meek will inherit the earth, Jesus said. It's those who don't grab for themselves. If we hunger and thirst for what is right, then we will be driven not by a desire to get as much as we can for ourselves, but to, to see an end to the exploitation of the vulnerable. We will be concerned to find justice for others in the world. More concerned about what others haven't got than what we have got ourselves. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for justice. Passion for what is good and right. Those are the people who will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You will forgive, because God has forgiven you. Forgiveness, again, is the hallmark of God's people. If you're pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. If you're pure in heart, you won't have anything to hide from anyone. If you're pure in heart, you'll be focused upon God and his priorities. You'll be able to worship him out of a clean heart because your heart's been made clean through the grace of God. The goodness at the centre of your life will find expression in a lifestyle that is good as well. Pure in heart, devoted, dedicated, focused upon God and his kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be children of God, or called children of God. Those who dispel anger, those who promote reconciliation, those who seek to restore broken relationships, they are the children of God. And all of these things are costly, actually. They're not easy. It's really, really difficult to live this way. These are not things that we naturally aspire to. Yes, I want to be like this. 
These are not the pathways to success, to achievement, to status. There is a price to pay for being poor in spirit. To mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker. And Jesus pronounced a blessing on those who pay the price, who are persecuted, who are given a hard time because of their devotion to the kingdom of God. So what is that? does that? Do these things make us the salt of the earth? There's no denying, I think, that if the Beatitudes sum up the kind of people that we ought to be deep down inside, as we live these values out in practice, then the world will be a much better place. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, you, you are the salt of the earth, you are the people of the kingdom, you are my representatives in the world. As you live like this, you will be the salt of the earth. And what marks us out as followers of Jesus is not where we are at 10.30 and 6.30 on a Sunday, but who we are, how we live, and how we relate to others, and how we serve God the rest of the week. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. It's quite personal, actually. You're listening to the sermon. It's you. You. You are the salt of the earth. Each of us, a grain of salt. With those inherent qualities of belonging to God and living for God in God's way, in God's world. You are the salt of the earth. And as we realise that identity, and as we live it out in practice, God can use us to change the world, to make it a better place. That's our calling and our privilege. So let's pray. there are times we don't feel very salt-like. We acknowledge there are times where we are more like the world around us than we are like Jesus. We find it easier to blend in than to make a difference. Where we have compromised, would you forgive us? Lord, you've placed your spirit within us. It's that that marks us out as your children. It's that that makes us distinctive. Lord, would your spirit fill our hearts and our minds and our lives and prevail, we pray. Change us 
so that we can make a difference. Not a matter of anything in which we can take pride, not a matter of our achievements, what we do. A salt is invisible when it's sprinkled on food. It's not for us to be visible when we do what we do. It's about your work, your hidden work here and through us. So make us who you say we are. Make us salt. For the benefit of the people whom we will meet this week. Give us those essential qualities of belonging to you and honouring you and serving you. So that instead of just fitting in and not making a difference, we bring your presence, your life-changing presence, into every situation we encounter. Lord, would you do that innocent through us because we cannot do it ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name.